Y'all fired up. Just thing on its own. There we go. All right. Um, let me tell you, uh, I, mean, I haven't been here in two weeks. Just kind of a preface. Um, I, I'm fired up, man. Uh, God's been doing some cool stuff in my time in the Word and our time of preparation for this week. Um, if you guys have never been here before, my name is Michael. Um, last name is Paige. And if you want to, um, I would love to meet you if it's your first time here. I want to give you a special welcome if it's your first time here. Um, we are a, uh, we're a campus from a larger campus. Um, uh, we have five campuses around Southeast Georgia. And what God's doing on our church is um, we have a very simple vision. That's to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And everything we do here from top to bottom, left to right, from the parking lot to the pulpit is connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And if you leave this place and you don't feel like that you've been connected in any way, it's either you just didn't stop by our next steps table or you were one of our people just kind of slipping through the cracks. But let me tell you, everything we do here is going to be about connecting you to a growing relationship with Jesus. So this morning, I just want to say that I'm thankful that you're here. Are y'all awake? Because I am awake and I'm fired up. And I'm, I'm telling you, um, God is moving in, the, in, the, in, our, in our church family. He's moving. I'm seeing him move in hearts. I'm seeing him move in lives. I'm seeing him move in families and connect groups. I'm seeing him move in, the, in countless ways. And even in my life and at my home, God is moving. And um, there's something else moving in my home. There's two, we have two babies that are coming in about a month, and it's going to be crazy. So if I come up here in, about, uh, if I come up here in a couple of months and uh, I look really tired, uh, just give me a break, all right? So... That's what I want you to hear. So I really, guys, I really believe, I really truly believe with all my heart that God is trying to bring his church into alignment with himself, with his will, with his plan, what he wants to do for the future. Because I believe God's sovereignty. I believe that. God's sovereign. He's in control of all things at all times, and he's good. That's a good combination, right? Sovereign, good. Good combination. I like that guy. Awesome. Every time. I believe he is, he, is, uh, he is trying to align his church because there's a battle that's going on for your hearts, right? You can't look at the world and say, oh, everything's cool, right? You can't do that. You look at the news, you get depressed. People are crazy, right? And behind people, what? There's sin. We have a sinful nature. There's things that God is trying to do to win the world back to himself. And the way that he does that is he calls us as believers to reach the world. He calls us to challenge people to take their next steps to take their next steps, whether it's salvation or baptism, like Eric was saying earlier, it might be uh, joining a connect group so that you can get poured into and say, hey, I don't know what I believe, but I just want to join up with this group and just see what's happening. I just want to see what God might do in my heart. And so you just join up with that group and kind of see what's going on. But maybe it's serving. It might be one of these orange or blue shirts, or it might be on the prayer team, or it might be with the production or the worship team, but everything we're doing is to bring glory to God. And we're, what we're doing is we're praying for an awakening in this city and in this county. An awakening. Does everybody know what an awakening is? You once were asleep, now you're awake, right? It's simple, very simple. So we're praying that this wouldn't be just a place where you just come to church every week. Uh, when I say church, I mean quote unquote church. This wouldn't be a place where you're just coming and raising your hands in worship and then sitting down and standing up and listening to a pastor and then leaving. We're praying, we're praying that people would come in this place on Sundays to celebrate. Who knows how to celebrate? Who's ever been to a party? Perry and Emily, and Nicole. All right, I want to hang out with y'all, y'all, because y'all the only people that's ever been to a party. Listen, a party is fun. You like going to parties. I don't want to hear about some of your parties, but the, your Christian parties where you had Kool-Aid and hot dogs, those are cool. Like, listen, we, everybody's been to a party, 
Everybody knows a party is about celebrating. You're hanging out with friends, you're laughing, you're listening to music, you're playing some football, some water balloon fights, some slip and slides for some of you younger guys. Whatever it may look like, I don't know what's happening, but you're having a good time. It's a celebration. And I feel like at church, this is not supposed to be something you come to and check out. Oh, went to church this week. Oh, God's happy with me. That's not the way it works. Well, you come to church to celebrate all that God's done on the outside of these walls. You come in this house and you say, this is what God's done in my life this week. Look what he's done. He's brought three people to himself through just my connect group alone. Like you could talk about how, what, what your connect group's done. Man, we had three people get released from some kind of sin this week at connect group. We're able to pray for them. We're able to watch them come free. That's the celebration, right? That's what happens. And that's what happens. And that's what this time is. And that's what I feel like this is what we're supposed to be doing. And we're seeing people take their steps in their faith. We've seen people get baptized. People raise their hands in salvation. People join connect groups. Their, their eyes are becoming open and awakened to who Jesus really is and that he's not just a picture on a stained glass window, right? He's a real man that walked this earth and died for my sins and for your sins so that we could live. And the good part is he rose again. That's awesome. He's not just a religious symbol, guys. He is a man. He's a person. So people who once acted like God only existed in the context of a church service are seeing that religion is dead and that Jesus wants to live in our hearts and work in our lives. And, and he'll never be confined to a momentary experience that I decide to give to him in the morning or evening or during the day sometimes, that I try to fit Jesus in. He can't be confined to that little moment of my Jesus calling book or the time that I pray in the end. God is, is supreme and permeates every area of our life. Not just, the, not, not just the ones that I decide to give him, but the good thing about it, the good part of God is he wants to, he wants to meet us there. He wants to be with us. Isn't it awesome when we serve a God that wants to spend time with us? That's good. That's good. It's good. And so as we dive into this third week of this series this week, that's what I want you to hear. We're in our third week of, of the book of John. We're going straight through the, the 412 reading plan together, and we're going to read about who God is, we're going to answer some questions. Who God is? Who am I? What does it mean with the scripture that I just read? What does it mean? Who, who does it say that I am? What's God done in that context? And what have I become because of what God's done? So my identity is no longer in who I am, just me. My identity now is found in who I am depending on what God's done. I am who he says I am was what the song says, right? I am who he says I am. Not who some boy says I am, not who some girl says I am, not who my ex-wife says I am, not who this person says I am, not who my boss says I am. I am who God says I am, and that's who I live. That's who I live for, and that's what I live in, and that's the identity that I walk in. And if we don't, we're going to fumble around. We're going to mess all up. So as we get going this morning, I don't want to get away from the word awakening. Put that in your mind. I know some of you can't spell it, but it's okay. You know what it means, right? Just awakening. Just put it in your mind. Awakening, 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 waking up. Waking up to who Jesus is, waking up, because it holds so much imagery. When you think about awakening, you're like, man, I can just see that. And I'm not sure if you have like a picturesque type mind, like, or you're, where you see that, uh, you, you have a good imagination, and, and, it, and you're seeing your faith waking up. And you look in Scripture, anytime you see Jesus come in contact with somebody, you see two things happening. He, they either come awake, they're like, holy crap, this man is not a man. He's God, and he's awesome. Or, or they, their hearts get hard, say, this, he's going to take away my stuff right? Those two things. Those two things. I love him. I'm going to submit to him or no, I don't, not, not, not today, God. Not today. Not, not, not right now. First Corinthians 5, it says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, is what it says. And that's that awakening that happens when you see Jesus for who he is. 
the awakening comes. And my desire is that we would awaken this morning to this idea of awakening. It's, this is the idea that I'm, that I'm thinking about right now. It's, it's good to trade something small for something huge. So that's, that's, that's a given, right? If I were to say, hey, give me a dollar and I'll give you $100, who would take that deal? Yeah, every day of the week, right? I say, hey, give me your Pinto, I'll give you a limousine. Or a limousine, Lamborghini, how about that? <laughs> I'll drive your limousine, how about that? You'll take that deal every day. And that's, that's, what, that's what we're looking at this morning. That's something small, though. That's something small that I'm talking about is lives that we, we run. Lives that we run and that we're in charge of. And that we would trade that in for the kind of life that's centered on Jesus. Because that's the small thing that he wants us to trade in for the big thing. Because a life lived in his will, by his plan, and by his word is huge. Has so much influence and so much meaning. A life run by me is small and meaningless. I can only get so far. But a life run by the King of kings and the Lord of lords is big. It's powerful. It's impactful. Has a lot of influence. Right? Are we on the same page with that? Y'all agree? Okay, good. Got to talk back or I'm going to get bored up here. Okay? So the tragedy would be that we would hang on to these little bitty lives that we try to live and never awaken to Jesus and all that he wants to do in us and through us. That would be a tragedy. When you get to the end of your life and you say, I should have done more, right? There'll never be a time or a person in all of history from history past to, to future when somebody would go on their deathbed and said, I wish I hadn't read the Bible so much. I wish I hadn't prayed so much, right? We're always going to be I wish I'd have done. I wish I, I remember when God was directing my life in this way, and I didn't do it because I was scared. Regret. I don't want to live with regrets. I want to live with a complete surrender for who God wants me to be. We all want that. We, we can all get to do a raise of hands and say, "Who wants to be effective for God?" Everybody would raise their hand. But who wants to put in the work? Who wants to turn their life over? So my hope for today is that someone would wake up. One person would wake up today and hear the heartbeat of Jesus. Hear the heartbeat of what he wants, the rhythm that he wants to put us on, that we would, we would be in the same place with him today. But before we start reading this morning, I want to get something straight. We've already talked about it a little bit. The scripture is very clear when it comes to the question of God's sovereignty inside of our suffering. Who's ever suffered before? Who's ever lost a loved one? Who's ever lost a job? Who's ever just had a bad day? Everybody. We've all suffered. We've struggled. We're like, man, I just don't know. We're like, God, where are you at? I hear about your faithfulness, but where are you at? Like we struggle. There's struggle, struggle, struggle because we live in a fallen world, okay? But listen, the Bible's clear that God is in control over every square inch in the world and the and universe. The Great Commission says, at the very end of it, it says, for I will be with you always. Well, the first part of it says, all authority has been given to me. But it doesn't say all, just all authority. It says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that's when you want to start listening to a man who says that, right? A man who's been filled up by God says, all authority has been given to me, heaven and on earth. And you've seen him raise the dead, and you've seen him heal the blind. That's when you want to start saying, all right, I need to pay attention to Jesus, because he, he's got something that I need. Correct. That's right, Michael. All right. Amen. Here we go. <laughs> the Bible is clear. Nothing escapes his divine gaze. Nothing surprises him. Nothing comes to pass that he didn't ordain or allow. And you're like, what, what about like abortion? What about, what about uh, car accidents and, and genocides and wars? And, and all? We live in a fallen world, a fallen world, a sinful world. But at the same time, we have to understand his sovereignty in light of his character 
He is just as in control as he is good. He is good and he's in control. He's both. Psalms 107 says, we should give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever, forever. He's in control. So these two facts, we're going to establish these two things. Put them in your heart this morning. Put them in your heart. God is sovereign over all things. You got it? It's in your heart. God is sovereign over all things. The second thing, God is good in all he does. No matter my perspective, no matter my context, he's good in all he does. He's sovereign over all. He's good in all he does. Put it in your heart, okay? So this morning, we're going to go through a very familiar story in John 11. You should have read it yesterday, if you, I think, if you've been in your 412 reading plan. I hope you have, because it's really beneficial. It's awesome to do it as a church. This story has a rough start, because it's kind of morbid, because somebody dies. You know, that's weird. That's bad. Not good. Anytime somebody dies, not good, except in this case. But it has a really good ending for everybody except Lazarus, right? Everybody except Lazarus. You're like, what? You know, think about this. Lazarus, God loved, Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus loved Jesus. They're in relationship. They knew each other, right? Well, it says he died. Well, what happens to a Christian when they die? All right, so think about Lazarus. He goes to heaven. Jesus. And all of a sudden, he gets a knock on his door and says, Lazarus, I'm going to need you to go back down there for a little while. He's like, what? Think about, I mean, it's a great story for everybody except Lazarus, right? Lazarus has to come back to earth, and he has to go through life for a few more years before he, before he goes um, back to heaven. And so we're going to pray together, and then we're going to jump into John 11, um, chapter, one, or chapter 11, 1 through 16. And we're, um, we're going to read that together after we pray. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you're doing in our church. I pray that you would come fill the reading of your word. I pray that you would just not allow it to turn void like you've already promised. God, I pray that hearts in here will be softened. God, that you would just bring someone to you this morning, Father, in a way that they never understood, Father, they've never known. Father, I pray, God, that you would just, um, someone that's far away, I pray that you would draw them near. Lord, we love you, and it's your name I pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Who wants to read it? I'm just kidding. I'm going to read it. It's uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. It says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, who's Brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet and her hair in John 12. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory. And so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daytime will not stumble, for they see by his light, world's light. It is, a per- it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. All verse 9 through 10 is talking about is walking in the light. If you're walking in God's will, you ain't going to stumble. If you're walking outside of God's will, you're going to fall on your face. Can I get an amen? All right, here we go. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. These are the moments where I'm going to be like, yeah, let's do this. Like, it's like a Tim Allen grunt. You know, let's do this. Let's do this. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They had no idea what was going on. Bless their hearts. Jesus had, was speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that I may believe, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So 
We see here a, a really good point. And the thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus was 25 miles away in Perea. He was, Bethany was a town of two miles outside of Jerusalem. This was a very dangerous thing for Jesus to go do because the, the religious leaders were already after him. They wanted him dead. And so for him to go and do this was a, a death warrant, basically. Two miles away, there were, there were going to be Jewish people at this place, and the, the leaders were going to know, and they were going to come after him. Well, I want you to see, if the, despite all those things, God loves these people. Jesus loves these people. And my first point today is God loves you. God loves you. How, how cliche is that first point for a church, right? God loves you, everybody. God loves you. God loves you. I bless you. Have a good day. No, listen. God loves you. Do we really hear that when we, when we say it? When, whenever I say it, do we really hear that God loves you? Or do you believe God loves you the way that you love yourself? Or do you look in the mirror and say, I need some more makeup, I need to lose 10 pounds, I need to get buff. I need, oh, do we love ourselves? God loves you. God's love for you is limitless. Wrap your mind around that for a second. But just a minute ago, we said God's sovereign, right? What does sovereign mean? He's over all things. Do we believe God's omniscient? Do we believe he's eternal, right? So if God's eternal, that means his attributes are also eternal, right? So that means his love's eternal. So that means there's nothing you can do for the rest of your life or all eternity that you can do to change his mind about you and how much he loves you. That's awesome. That's good, right? Okay, God's love for you isn't based on what you do, where you've been, what you've done, and who you've done it with. Thank God. Right? It's not, it, there's, there's not one thing you can do to earn his love. There's not one thing. We don't even have the ability to do right, much less earn it. I don't have the ability to do what is right is what Romans says. Our flesh limits our ability to do the good that we want to do. Go read Romans 7. Paul, my hero, says, the good I want to do, I can't. I don't. The good I, I, I don't want to do, I end up doing. I'm, I'm screwed up is what he's saying. And this is Paul, so it gives us a lot of comfort this morning, right? Hallelujah. Amen, Paul. Thank you. We don't even have the ability. Our flesh limits us. So that's why we need grace. How many Baptists we got here can tell me what grace is? Unmerited favor. That's not what it means. It's not unmerited favor. That's a very small definition of grace. Grace, in its, in its most powerful definition, is the ability of God working in us, doing for us what we can't do in our own ability. The ability of God working in us and doing for us what we can't do in our own ability. That makes more sense, right? I need grace to be a good husband. I need grace to follow Jesus. I need grace to preach. I need grace to lead people in discipleship because that's him working in me and doing for me what I can't do because what's my ability again? It's flesh. Remember, flesh is what I have. That's all I have. I, I, that's why I need to surrender to Jesus. But here's the good news. God's love for you is not initiated by you. <laughs> thank, thank God. I say thank God every day about that one. The sisters, look what the sisters says. The sisters didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, our brother Lazarus, who loves you, has been an awesome follower of you, by the way. He's done everything right. He's been to church. He's discipled 1,700 people, and he's made, he's made countless he's disciples, and he's serving kids 17 times in this month, and he's done, he's done a lot of stuff. He loves every person that he meets. That's not what he said. What did he say? What did she say? She said, the one that you love is sick. So he, 
she goes to Jesus' heart and says, he, she calls on his love, not, not Lazarus's, because Lazarus's ability was flesh. He hadn't done, he hadn't done everything that he, right. He hadn't followed everything right. What moves the heart of God is his love for us, not our love for him. Nothing we do. Nothing we do. Nothing we do. He's not waiting on us to be, he's not waiting to love us before we, we have to get things right. He's not waiting on us to, to love him before he moves. Isn't that awesome? He's not waiting on me to love him back. Look at Romans 5. The Bible says in Romans 5, chapter 8, or verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates. What's demonstrate mean? He, he acted it out. He showed it. He, this is how he showed it and proved it. He demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still on that one night stand, while we were still in the middle of those drugs, while we were still in the middle of those, those relationships and those, all this different stuff, while we were still in that moment, Christ still chose to die for us. That's what draws us to Jesus because he's so good. That's what's awesome, man. Like while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we need to hear that any response that we had to Jesus is centered and based around the first move that he made on the cross, period. Not on me. He loves us. Without him, we're without hope. Without him, we're without a future. Without Christ, it all ends in the grave. Unless you're Lazarus. Then it, it, okay. It, yeah, whatever. Um, without, so with, with Christ... We, eternity is ours. We have it in Christ. We get to walk with him. The Bible says we're an heir with Christ. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see today, and that's what I'm trying to get us to awaken to, is that he loves you. He has a plan for your life, period. He wants to use you. You're not wasted flesh. He, he created you in a way that just, it was specific. But first, like Lazarus, what did Jesus have to do to Lazarus? Had to raise him, had to waken him up, had to wake him up. He said, I'm going there to wake him up. I love Jesus' perspective. Dad think I'm control me. I, I'm gonna wake him up. Come on, let's go. Let's go back. That's awesome, right? But listen, are, are we asleep today? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on people, but I, there's every church I go to, there's, there, there's that cliche person that walks in the door, is just kind of like, oh, uh, good morning, good morning. How you doing? Sit down, stands up, worship, sits down. And it's just bored. I'm bored. Listen, a bored Christian, someone who comes to worship and is bored, is a, you need to be awakened. Listen, because whenever, if you, have you ever read Revelation? Revelation, listen, whenever, whenever Jesus comes back, whenever he sets up the new kingdom, whenever he sets up the new Israel and the new, the new earth here, here, and we're worshiping God and the angels are there and it's, it's loud and it's crazy and it's awesome, it's a party, there's nothing bored about that. If you can get bored in that situation, got some, you, you got a heart problem. We need to waken it up. We need to, need, to, need to get a little jolt of electricity to get you going there or some Holy Spirit because that's what it's about. Being bored in worship is hard to, to comprehend. Have you ever been awakened to the truth of the gospel, the big T truth of the gospel, not the one that Jesus loves me, this I know? Do you really know that where it's affected your life in a way that you've been able to, to walk it out? In verse 11, it says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but, I like big butts in the Bible. <laughs> hey, I'm in to say that, guys. Listen, I like big butts in the Bible. Listen, that butt right there is big. Lazarus was asleep, but 
What? But God. God intervenes. He stepped in. I'm going there to wake him up. That is awesome. Man, that is awesome. It pumps me up. It gets me fired up. When I read that, I'm like, God, man, that's awesome. I'm going to wake him up. That's the God I serve. That's the Jesus that I follow. And that's what should fire us up as we're following Jesus. Y'all can use the big butt joke if you want to. It's cool. Whatever. <laughs> Listen, my question this morning is, are you living a life that's safe? Are you living a Christian life that's safe? I wake up. I've made my coffee. I'm going to do my Jesus Calling book today. I'm not picking on Jesus Calling. That's a good book. You know, it could be anything. It could be any devotional book. You know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to, I got my, I got my life squared away this way, and God has no room to move. Is there a place that he's able to move in your life? Or have we got it so structured that, no, God, I, this, is, I'm, this is what I do at 10 o'clock every morning. Leave me alone. You know, where are we at? Because claiming to be a Christian and just, just because I attend church is not, is not accurate. That's not, a, that's, not a true, that's not an accurate statement. That, that doesn't, that, a doesn't, that, that, didn't, that didn't compute. Listen, Lazarus was dead. There was no life in his body, no expression on his face. It says later, it says it stunk. Um, his heart had stopped. His, he was lifeless, but Jesus was on the way. And this morning, Jesus is on the way to some of us. But are you in a place where you can accept that? Because it's hinging on your heart this morning, being able to receive it. Is your heart hard this morning? Or is it soft? And that's my prayer, that it will be soft. I can't wake you up. I can preach the best sermon in the world. That'd be great. But I'm saying, I can't wake you up, but Jesus can. The word, the truth can wake you up. It can wake your heart up. It can wake up a dead heart. Let's keep reading. John 11, 17. Here we go. Buckle up. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead and in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Drama queen. 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know, circle that, but I know that even now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She had so much faith that she believed God could raise him from the dead. No matter what, I, Jesus, I believe in you because I've seen you work. I've seen you move. That's faith, guys. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered in a logical way. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. That's such a seminary answer. Jesus said to her, I am, this is big, I am, circle that, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Anytime you see a question in the Bible that says, do you believe this? Underline it. Ask yourself, Michael, do you believe this? Do you believe what you're reading? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. So you see there, Martha called him Lord, called him Messiah, called him Son of God. She dropped, she dropped three theological words right there like it wasn't nothing. And Jesus is like, yep, you know me. It's good. It's good. Son of God. All right, who is to come to the world? After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where, she, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my, bro- my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. Uh, where are we at? Yeah, okay. Uh, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. I know y'all got that memorized. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, but have kept this man from dying? Listen, next point. Your pain is not an accident. Your struggle is not an accident. Your suffering is not an accident. You walking in pain, struggle, hardship is not an accident. It never will be. From now until eternity, it will never be an accident. Because remember, what's point number one? God is sovereign over all things, but he's also good. Who struggles sometimes with believe God? Is, is God good? Like, I struggle that sometimes. Like, God, are you really good? Because like, right now you seem terrible. I don't like you right now. Like, we struggle that because we're human. If we're holding on to those two facts, sovereign and good, that we established at the beginning, we have to agree with this. Our pain is never an accident. No matter what you face, believe this. No matter what you face, believe this. Suffering doesn't equal lack of concern on God's part. That does not compute. Suffering does not equal lack of concern on God's part. It never does. We've all heard about the faith in Ephesians 2 where it says, but God. I was dead in my sin. I lost. I was, I was a child of the Satan is what it says. But God, through Jesus, raised me up. But good news, right? Good news. That's the good news of the gospel. But there's a different kind of faith I want to talk about this morning. The kind of faith that says, but God, it says, I was lost, I was dead, but God. There's another type of faith we need to cling tightly to this morning that uh, especially for those of you who are going through the fire right now, who may be suffering or going through a hardship or maybe in a season of, of some warfare. Look in verses 21 through 22. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but now... But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now type faith is what I'm talking about. There's but God faith, but there's also even now faith. And you need to hold on to that. You need to circle that, square it off, highlight it, whatever you got. Red pen, blue pen, black pen, crayon, whatever. Even now, even now, even when things look impossible, even though I don't feel you, Lord. First of all, God's not a feeling, so get off of that boat. God's not an emotion or a feeling. God's a person. Even when I don't feel your presence, Lord, or see you, Lord, I know, I know. But Lord, but Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, uh, we wouldn't have been dealing with this death or this, this infertility or this divorce or this loss of my job or, or, or this sickness or, or, or this, the, the Georgia heat, Lord, whatever. Listen, we would not have been like dealing with this stuff if you'd have been here. Lord, where are you at? Lord, if you'd have been, no, no, the person who knows God is good says, even now we'll praise you. I may be going through a death or infertility or loss of job or, or a horrible divorce, but God, I know you're good. I know you're sovereign. I'm going to praise you even now. Even now, I'm going to look to you. Why? Why, does people, why are people that crazy? Because they know Jesus, because of faith. Even now, faith looks in the face of a situation and says, even though this situation looks bad, it looks like there's no hope or a way out. Lord, I know that you're faithful and you're good and you're sovereign. That's where it's at. Lord, I know that you have a plan for me and it's not over. Tap your neighbor and say, it's not over. 
That's what I'm talking about right there. That's good. Say this with me. Y'all say this with me. God, I know you're sovereign. God, I know you're good. God, I know you love me. Those three things will get you through anything in life. Those three things. God, I know you're sovereign. God, I know you're good. God, I know you love me. Those three things. Say those things over and over. Preach to yourself. Preach to yourself those things. Listen, this is what's crazy. Jesus let Lazarus die just so he could raise him back to life. What? That's weird. Why would you do that, man? You're freaking people out. God's glory was revealed through Lazarus' death. To Martha and Mary, that didn't make no sense. What are you talking about, man? Like, why? My brother's dead. Listen, Jesus doesn't do things on our timeline on purpose. Because if he did, we could explain everything. And we had no reason for faith, right? He wants us to have faith because faith produces long-suffering, patience, the fruits of the Spirit, and it also glorifies him. God isn't so much concerned with time as much as he is with timing. You know what I mean? God's timing is perfect. Can we agree with that? Time sucks sometimes. I'm not sure if I can say that from stage, but it's dibs. It stinks sometimes, right? Timing, it's, it, time stinks. I, you know, as, I was, as I felt the call to, to, be, to preach, to be a pastor, um, I had to go through a season of years where I was being stubborn and I wasn't aligning myself where God wanted me. And so the time was extended because of the, what I was doing wrong. If I would align myself with where God wanted me at, it would have been an easier step because his timing is perfect. Time is either added by me or by God. I can do it negatively or he can do it positively to teach me lessons. Listen, it's important. Verse five through six, we look back, says Jesus, this is what's funny, guys. This, you, I'm not sure if you picked up on this. Jesus loved Lazarus and his sister so. That so should be a but in my mind, right? How, how do you love somebody and so I'm gonna let them die? It should be, they, Jesus loved Lazarus, but he, went, he stayed there two more days. But it says so. What the heck? In my mind, that so should be a but, unless God had a plan for their good and his glory, right? God is never lacking. He's never taken by surprise. He never looks at your life or your situation and says, man, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that loss of job coming for that guy. That took me by surprise. Satan got me, man. No, he ain't never gonna say that, ever. Everything he does is timed well because he's good and he's sovereign in all he does because he's trying to bring the good out in you. And don't mistake pain for preparation. Don't mistake pain for preparation and don't mistake discomfort for refinement. He's trying to refine us, right? Don't mistake pain for preparation or discomfort for refinement. God's timing is perfect. Wait on him, it's coming. I promise you he's coming. All right, keep reading, 38 and 39. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now everybody's freaking out. But God, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. Number three says, our obedience reveals God's faithfulness. Our obedience reveals God's faithfulness. Our obedience reveals God's faithfulness. Remove the stone. They're like, what the heck are you talking about? Remove the stone. That's dead. He stinks. Could Jesus not have removed that stone with one word? He could have said, stone, be gone. That thing would have like disintegrated. 
He could have said, like, stone, like, melt and lava. They would have, they would have done that. Like, he could have said, like, eagle, come move the stone, and it would have happened. Like, he's sovereign, right? But he, he wants us to participate in the miracles that he's performing in the Bible, which is awesome, which tells me that he wants us to participate in what he's doing in the world today, which is awesome. He says, remove the stone. And I truly believe, I really, truly believe that somebody in this room today, and I have a hard time saying you sometimes because I like to talk about us because we are here together. But I believe as I was praying through this that I believe that somebody in this room needs to be awakened this morning. But first, we need to be obedient in removing the stone from our life. You get that? You get where I'm going with that? But behind that stone, there's a smell, right? There's a, there's a smell. There's some sin. There's some shame. There's some condemnation. There's a deep wound that God's been trying to get at for quite some time but he's not going to force himself in because the second point is he's good. And if he forced himself in, he wouldn't be a loving God. God's loving, right? Is that right? Okay, listen. This morning, move in obedience. Move, change. Change your heart towards what he's wanting you to do. Move whatever it is in the way that makes you think that God can't do it. That you're not worth it. Move the doubt, the self-loathing, the self-pity or the shame or the condemnation. Move it. Get it out of the way. Speak truth of Scripture. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. There is one, there is one offensive weapon, and it is what? The word, the sword, the sword, the word. But less, well, guess what? Whenever you're getting attacked by the spirit or Satan, and then the spirit says, hey, use the word. You ain't supposed to be like, get away from me, Satan. Get back. Yeah, that's not what you do. That's not what you do. Listen, you read the Bible. You read the Bible. You put it in your heart because it's not the sword until it gets into your heart and it comes out your mouth. Okay? That's what it's about. That's why Satan tries to keep you from reading the Bible. That's why Satan tries to keep you from connect group. That's why he tries to keep you from praying because he don't want you to get this in your heart because in Luke 4, what did Jesus use whenever Satan came against him? The word. He says it is written. That's how we're supposed to fight. Listen, that's what it's about, guys. Move that self. Move the doubt, the self-doubt, the condemnation with the word. Fight. If we truly believe that God is sovereign and that God is good, obedience is easy. If you truly believe God's sovereign, he's got everything under control, and he's good, obedience is easy, right? It's like, you got it, God. Sure, there's a tornado coming to destroy my house right now. Sure, all this stuff, man. You got it. You're, you're good. No matter what, you're good. But we have to take ourselves off that self-entitled platform before we're able to believe that he's truly good. John 11, 39 through 44, it says this, last part. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's bad odor. For he, had, he has been there for four days. Then Jesus, then Jesus said, did I not tell you, listen to this verse, did I not tell you that if you believe, those two next two words are big, you will see the glory of God. That's a promise. Who wants to see the glory of God? We all do. I want to. I mean, if you don't, then crazy. Listen, I want to see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Why did Jesus tell them that? They probably knew that they probably didn't tell you. They were probably standing there like, there's a dead man walking out of the grave right now, right? They were, he was probably like, come on, go, go do it. Go take his grave clothes off and let him go. That's awesome, right? 
That fires me up, man. It's awesome. Last point on, we're talking about this from this scripture right here, is Jesus isn't scared of the stench of your sin. Jesus is not scared of the stench of your sin. I don't care what you've done, who you've done it with, and how many times you've done it. Jesus ain't scared because he's already, he already knows it. Lazarus was in the grave for four days. There's no doubt that he was dead, right? There's no doubt. He was in the grave for four days. Just being there four days with it sealed up would kill you in the first place. According to Google, a body, uh, Google, whatever, a, a body begins to smell seven hours after death. I hope nobody knows that firsthand because that'd be weird. But like seven hours, a body starts to smell. That didn't stop Jesus though, right? That didn't stop him. He went to the grave to rescue Lazarus and the stench didn't stop him. Say, say the stench didn't stop him. That's what you need to hear in your life. No matter how sinful you think you might have been or how far you've gone, Jesus isn't scared of it. He's not scared of it. The filth of our sin doesn't scare Jesus. Why? Because it's already been paid for. It's in the past. The reason it don't scare him is because it's in the past. It's a thing of the past. He died on the cross and rose again and said it is finished. The, 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 the better translation, it is complete. It's done. There's nothing left, nothing left to do. And if you believe he's good and he's sovereign this morning, then you have to believe him when he said it's finished. You can't pick and choose what you believe about Jesus like a buffet line. You believe it all or you believe in none of it. You can't pick and choose. So Jesus, guys, this morning, he, he sees our sin more clearly than anybody. Isn't that scary? Not just the things you do, the things you think. Sweet Jesus, help me. You know, think about that. He sees your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your motives of your heart. How, how, how smelly is that? That gets pretty gross, right? For me, that's, that's, that's nasty. That's, that's bad. He sees our sin more clearly than anybody, yet he still loves us more than anybody. That's, that's amazing God. That is a good God. Morality, being a good person, or living a good life won't cover your sins. It just won't do it. I don't care if you've been to church every day of your life. This won't save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you. Doing more good than bad doesn't cover your sin. God, I've done more good than bad. Lord, I've done, I helped these orphans and I gave money to the poor and I did this and I fed the sick. I, I, I took care of my wife whenever she was sick. I did all this stuff. That's not gonna save you. That's not what saves you. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that will cover your sins and bring you into the presence of God at the end of your life. That's a good amen moment. You believe that. I believe that. That's the only thing, depending on Jesus, is the only way. Looking to him, clinging to him. The, ver that, the verse in John 3, 16 that we all know and love, it says, believe, the word believe, it doesn't mean I believe that the sky's blue. It means I believe in something so much that I'm going to lean on it and cling to it and hold on tight to it because it's the only thing that can save me. Anything else won't work. Jesus alone is the answer. And listen, you guys know in Ephesians 2, it talks about you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. You're saved through faith in that grace. And so you look at Ephesians 2, it says, for it is by the grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. You can't do anything. It's a gift of God, not by works so that anyone, no one can boast. What's a gift? A gift 
You can't, it's not something that you can earn. It's given to you, free. This is a gift. It's a gift. The Jews tried to win this by the law. It didn't work. Years and years and years and years and years and years and years of struggle. It didn't work. We try to do this by going to church and doing more, serving more, loving more, doing more, doing more, doing more. I got, I got baptized 18 times. That don't do it. That does not do it. In faith, every good work that we do is only a response to what God has already done, not to obtain our salvation. Faith produces works. Talks about it in James. Works never produce or equal salvation. It, it, it's only a response. And listen, guys, this morning, Jesus wants you free. He wants you free. I'm tired of seeing people come into church and say, hallelujah, Jesus, and walk out bound by sin, by shame, by arrogance, by pride. We're meant to be people who are free. Fruits of the Spirit, men, are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. All those things, man, are supposed to be what defines us as we walk out into our city. People would see the joy on our faces. Like, man, what's wrong with that guy? He ain't read the news yet? Listen, I know something better. God's sovereign. He's good. Right? That's what it's about. And that's why I have joy. What is a depressed Christian? Because when Jesus comes, he said, I've come to give you freedom. I've come to give you sight. I've come to give you life. Not just life but life abundantly, which means there's far more than you expected. Listen, that's, that's what it's about, guys. The way he does this is he comes to us when we're dead, like Lazarus, in our sins. In our sins, we're dead. I've heard pastors say here, God threw a life raft to you. No, God didn't throw a life raft to you because you were dead with face down in the water. You couldn't physically grab the life raft. Like he, he resuscitated you. You were dead. He pulled you from a dead state like Lazarus and raised you up. That's what he did. He did so, He made something out of nothing to bring you back to himself. He gave you life in exchange for your sin. That's a good God. And that shouldn't move us. It shouldn't just put us into a seat to check a box each week. It shouldn't move us to go into our city and to our jobs and to our families and to honor God in every step we take because he's good and he's sovereign. Let's listen. Remember that Jesus loves you. Remember that your pain isn't wasted. Remember that your obedience to the Lord is going to unlock and reveal His faithfulness in your life. And remember that Jesus is not afraid or scared of our sin. He died for it. And so this morning, who is God? That's an easy question. The resurrector of life, the forgiver of sins, all sins. He brings dead things back. He's the redeemer. The re a redeemer means that somebody who gains or regains possessions of something in exchange for a payment. What sin had stolen, grace revived. It didn't buy it back. He revived it. Something that was dead, it was revived. Who am I? Who are you? We're Lazarus. We've been in the grave for four days. We stink. We have sin that, that just is killing us. We're in our grave clothes, which is our sin. We, we stink of sin and, and of shame. And, and we have all, But what has God done? God has called us out through the death of Jesus, called us out of the grave. God, Jesus called us out of the grave and took our place in the tomb, and then he defeated it in the grave and the death and rose again, and God has taken off of our grave clothes and set us free like Lazarus. That's good news. I'm pumped up about this. I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but we have to walk in freedom. We have to walk in it. 
We can't walk out that door and say, yeah, Michael, amen. Back to my sin, back to my shame, back to my condemnation, back to my life, and leave this back here. You can't do that. That's not how we're called to walk. We're called to, to notice scripture, let it change your life, and walk in freedom. And what do we become? What's my response? Because Jesus, we have the opportunity to become children of God. Isn't that awesome? Children of God through the life of Jesus. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. Thank God that you had to live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you have received brought about your adoption to sonship. That means we have full rights as a son of God, full rights to receive the inheritance that we get through Jesus. That's a great idea. It's awesome. I love it. But by him, we cry, Abba, Father. That means Daddy. Abba, Abba means Daddy. That's an intimate term. Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Listen, the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit. That means he tells us if we're believers or not. He speaks to us. If you don't hear from God, if you never have, we, we, we need to evaluate and see where you're at because that's important. We have a choice this morning. This is the last thing. We have a choice. Jesus, follow Jesus or don't. Follow Jesus or don't. There's no middle ground. You don't get, there's no gray area when, it follows, when you follow Jesus. We must choose. We, get, we don't get a pass in this. We, we don't, do we accept Jesus or we do reject him? There's, those are the only two choices. But when you come face to face with Jesus, there's awe and wonder. Think about the people whenever Lazarus was raised from the dead. They're like, what is happening? This is amazing. Wow. Wow. Look at what's going on. When, when you come face to face with them, it changes. But some of us in here this morning have allowed a stone to remain over our life for far too long. Jesus has been added to the other gods in our life and hasn't been sovereign and supreme in our life. Is he an addition or is he Lord? That won't work. He requires lordship is what it says in scripture. To be saved, to be able to the child of his. Following Jesus has never looked like just coming to church and not cussing or drinking so much. It's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. It's a life change. Following Jesus means abandoning everything to see the kingdom come and the earth as, and, and his will be done in earth and as it is in heaven. It means that we've seen something better in him than anything that he, we have to offer here on earth. Following Jesus means going where he says go, doing what he says do and not blinking because we know that his burden is light and his love is deep and he's sovereign and he's good. Maybe you've heard him calling your name this morning, just like Jesus said to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. Maybe he's saying, Michael, come out. Maybe he's calling you by name this morning, come out. Come out of the life that you're living right now. Maybe you've heard him calling out before. Maybe today's the first time there's power in that, those words of Jesus to resurrect your life. And if you think about it, I thought about this as I was reading this. I, it's funny that he called his name Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. You know why I think they said he called him by his name? One, because he's personal. He loves, he's a very personal God. Two, if he didn't say, if he didn't say Lazarus, he just said, come out, he'd have ended the graveyard. Everybody would have been open and coming out. Let's go. He said, Lazarus, come out. He's very specific in the way he works. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the promises of Jesus. There's power and endless grace in the name and the person of Jesus. And, it, and he's ready to meet every need of our hearts this morning. He's ready to remove the grave clothes and free us today. And this morning, if you've never met Jesus, if you've never met the Jesus that I just described to you, I want to give you an opportunity. 
Because that's the real true Jesus of Scripture. If you've never followed Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're who I want to follow for the rest of my days. If you've never done that and you feel like the Lord is moving in your heart, and if he is, this means your heart's probably beating 100 miles an hour right now. And so if that's happening, I'm talking to you. And listen, if, if, if that's you this morning, you want to make that decision, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want this Jesus. I want you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. Is that you this morning? You want to make that decision to walk with Jesus this morning. I want to pray with you. I'll personally pray with you. I don't care. I'll be here all day if I have to. That's how important it is to me. Is that anybody? All right. So since we're all saved in here, let's get some unsaved people here next week. And we're going to preach the gospel again over and over and over again because it's the gospel that gives us power and truth. For the rest of us, if we're saved and we're satisfied with just showing up here every week because it's what we do on Sundays, then you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. Get invested and get moving. Move. Move. Uh, uh, following Jesus is, is active. You don't follow Jesus by standing still. You follow him by moving. Um, what did Paul say to, to the people in Acts 2? He said, with many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Peter had seen the love of Christ and seen the deliverance of his soul, and he wanted that for other people. So if you're seeing people who are lost around you at work or at home or in your life, and you're not saying, please listen to this. Please understand what I'm trying to say to you. Then you're missing it. Because that's our job as Christians is to plead and to warn those who are lost to come to the Lord because he's good and he's sovereign, man. It also means that we're helping people move stones out of their life. Our culture has taught us to be separate a lot, be alone, be lonely. The Bible teaches us to do life together. There's people in your life, I know right now, that have stones in their life that needs to be removed. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. It might be your kids. It might be your best friend. It might be a person at work. There might be a stone that you see. Well, God's calling us today to move those stones and to help us and to, to help him have a better access to our lives, God. So where are you at today? I want to pray for you. Just think about where you're at. As you leave here today, I pray against the enemy that he does not take a seed from your heart that was spoken from Scripture today because he tries to do that. So where are you at? Are you stagnant? Are you active? Are you wrapped up in self to be able to not be able to see the kingdom? Where are you at? Are we effective? Are we not? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be gone, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay up here for a few minutes. If anybody wants to pray, I'll pray with you. I don't care. I'll stay here literally until 9 o'clock at night if I have to. That's how important it is to me. That's how much I love you. So let me pray for you, and then we'll be, we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are and that you're a good God and a sovereign God. I pray, Father, that the word did not fall on deaf ears or hearts this morning, God, that, Lord, that you would be glorified through everything that we say and do here. God, I pray for the hearts of every person in this room, God, that you would begin to soften them, Father, whether they're lost or whether they're inactive or whether they're following you, Father, closely. I pray that you would encourage them in whatever way they need to be encouraged. Father, for the person who's following you, I pray that you would give them courage to step up in their faith and start making disciples, Father, and start to serve you, Father, closely. For the person who is lost in here, Father, I pray, God, that you would just encourage their heart or show them how much you love them, Father. God, for the person who is inactive, Father, I pray that you would just raise them from the grave, Father. Wake them up. Awaken our hearts, God. We want to be a church that follows closely after you, Father, that affects the community for the kingdom and for the gospel. Father, I pray for more. I pray for a greater portion of your spirit to be over this church. God, I pray for more influence. God, I pray for more influence in our community. 
And God, for most of all, I pray for more of your presence. Because without your presence, we're just a holy huddle. So Father, we love you. And I-